Welcome back to another episode of A Few Screws Loose Podcast. I am P from Charlotte. You can find me at Screws Loose Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And I am Dan, a.k.a. Dan on Drugs. You can find me on Twitter and IG at I am Dan on Drugs. So last week in episode one, our pilot episode, first episode of A Few Screws Loose, we discussed, uh, well, we decoded some Mike Tyson quotes that seemed crazier than they actually were. We briefly discussed being on the wrong medications, our reactions to the wrong medications, and Tyrese's reaction to the wrong medication. Most importantly, we had a great discussion about acknowledging mental illness in our community and constantly having to relearn who you are as you grow with your mental illness or vice versa. And lastly, we took a look at jobs with the highest mental illness and suicide rates. So if you missed it, go check it out. It's episode one of A Few Screws Loose, the podcast titled, Can I At Least Get a Blowjob? Today, Dan and I are going to discuss seasonal affective disorder. Uh, A lot of people tend to get down towards the winter, the colder months. You know, uh, holidays can be pretty stressful. And apparently this issue is pretty common in America. So with Thanksgiving approaching, with the winter months approaching, uh, a lot of areas got hit by snow and cold weather the last couple of weeks. We thought, what better time to talk about seasonal affective disorder? Yeah, exactly. Like people snowed in the house and can't go out. What better time to talk about killing your fucking self? Um, <laughs> so, uh, yo, P, have you ever heard of uh, well, prior to today, have you ever heard of seasonal affective disorder? I've heard about an issue where people get depressed during uh, certain seasons. I'd never known of the exact medical term that this is called. I just thought it was general, uh, you know, holiday sadness or, you know, somebody stuck in the house and they're depressed. So I didn't really know that it's an actual disorder. And it's so common. I, I, I realized three million people suffer from this. So, um, you know, we're going to try to talk about this, learn a little bit. Um, and also maybe hopefully educate some of you guys out there who may be experiencing this and kind of help you get a better understanding of what you may be going through. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of seasons, what are your plans for Thanksgiving and what do you typically do like historically? Well, I'm going to talk in the present first. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I'm not a big holiday person. I have a large family, but Thanksgiving is the one that I refuse to do wrong. I like to eat. I like to cook. I don't do, uh, visits. I don't go out of town. I don't have guests. It's just me, my family. I cook all day. I have things that I cook, the same things every year. And I wish a motherfucker would mess up my Thanksgiving. <laughs> Historically, Thanksgiving has still been kind of a, a close family thing. You know, I have a lot of family on my mother's side, 10 aunts and uncles, a uh, million cousins. So we would typically eat dinner at our own place and then maybe go to the family house to visit them and have a second. But um, it's always been sort of a private affair in our family. And, um, you know, so I, I guess I'm kind of indoctrinated in celebrating it in that fashion. So that's how 
you know, I came up celebrating Thanksgiving a uh, very specific way. So, uh, Dan, how about you? How did you uh, celebrate Thanksgiving growing up and how do you celebrate it now? If if at all, man, fuck holidays, yo. Um, like for real, usually we don't we don't do much for the holidays. It's kind of sad, believe it or not. I used to enjoy going to sit at my grandmother's house, listening to my drunk uncles just talking shit. Every Thanksgiving, somebody about to fuck somebody up and, you know, I should kick your ass, this and that. When I got a little bit older, I used to enjoy going to have a few beers with my uh, cousins. And then we would kick it, shoot the shit, play a couple games of Texas Hold'em poker or spades or something like that. But, yeah, that that's pretty much how I spent my Thanksgivings growing up. Um, and I would say it wouldn't be unique from any other black family uh, I think most people have a similar, similar type of Thanksgiving, at least growing up like we did this year. Um, I'm going to be sitting at home alone. Well, not alone. My mother wants to come by, but honestly, I just want to be alone. And I'm finally starting to see where what old people mean when they say I'm tired because I'm tired, man. And I never really understood that saying when. You know, you would hear like your grandmother, one of your older aunts. I'm tired. I'm just tired. And I equated that to being sleepy as a kid. But now I finally understand what it well, what they mean by saying I'm tired is, yo, I just don't have the energy. I don't have the motivation. I don't just leave me the fuck alone. I want to be left alone. Yeah. So um, anyway, Becky, she's going back home to Pennsylvania to um have Thanksgiving with her family. And I'm not sure if I was invited or not. I really don't remember one way or another. Um, Even if I was invited, it's not like I'd be able to go because I burned my vacation earlier this year, about two months ago. Um, I did a staycation, did a lot of shit around the house because we were trying to get the house ready to sell. So, you know, initially we were both going to take off and Do, you know, do what needed to be done around the house. And she was real busy at work, so she couldn't take off. So I went ahead, took the week off. And I spent my entire vacation basically painting. Uh, I put a coating on the roof. I did a whole bunch of drywall work, uh, textured some ceilings where some paint is peeled, skim coating, uh, caulking the trim tubs, putting new trim around the doors, pressure washed the house, did a lot of gardening, lawn work, uh, I, I did a whole lot of shit. So anyway, we we're supposed to put the house on the market on November 1st, but that hasn't happened. So uh, all that work was like kind of for nothing because the longer we stay, I'm going to end up having to do all of that shit over again. And like I said, man, I'm, I'm fucking tired. So not to get too far off track, but I did want to point out that I, I was thinking about this pre-show. And this house has been the biggest stressor in my life, period. Well, the past few years, at least. And it continues to take a toll on me mentally. My mental health is suffering. Um, I never wanted to buy a house. And when I'm forced into like a situation, I'm kind of going on a rant here. But when I'm forced into a situation or I find myself in a position that I haven't purposely placed myself into, I really depend on those around me. And there's not very many people around me, but I depend on those around me to kind of take control of the situation because I literally go into autopilot. Like I just do whatever, 
you tell me, tell me what to do, because this is not what I want to do. So I'm just kind of flying through or whatever. But like I said, it's honestly, it's taken the biggest toll on my mental health ever in life. And to kind of put that into perspective, having to live in and come home to what's caused you to have a complete mental meltdown, in my honest opinion, I mean, it's inhumane because the best way I could describe it is like forcing a rape victim to be roommates with his or her rapist or like watching Mike Tyson stomp on your child's testicles over and over every day. <laughs> I mean, like, can you imagine that, though, having to come home to your rapist every day? It's like so I've had multiple nervous breakdowns, the worst panic attacks I've ever had in my life. I'm talking about like on the floor in a fetal position gasping for air, severe chest pains, shaking violently, knowing I was dying and not caring that I was dying. Because honestly, I prefer death over being forced to come home to my rapist every single day. So I never really thought that I'd see the day that I would hate my job less than home. So for those who know where I work, that's saying a whole lot. So yeah, I guess to answer your question, I'll be at home trying to find something to do and probably... My mother will be around here and I'll be halfway paying attention to whatever the fuck she got to say. <laughs> That's kind of a, a long rant. Well, well if anybody um, is struggling to understand what you mean by coming home to your rapist, um, you know, we kind of went into things that touched on that on our last episode, um, as well as on uh, Black Law and Legal Lies, the um, I Am Anxiety episode. We spoke about uh, triggers and and what it's like to be constantly exposed to certain things that may uh, create a, a panic response and, and how that can impact your daily life. So um, if anyone un doesn't really understand what Dan meant by that, I, I, I recommend you check out those two episodes because uh, you'll, you'll definitely come to a greater understanding after that. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I hate starting to show off with bad energy like that, but shit, man, that shit was just kind of pre-show kicking that shit around in my head, man. But, uh, yo, Christmas, let's, let's just move to Christmas. That's a happier holiday, I think. Um, how do you spend your Christmases? Well, I'm not going to uh, go into much happy energy on Christmas, but I'll try. Um, as a child, of course, all children love Christmas, even if you're poor, even if you're rich. Uh, most poor children, you know, you still get into the spirit. You know, I mean, of course, not everyone, but... By and large, kids love Christmas. Um, you know, I was no different. I used to look forward to it. I would be able to go to my grandfather's house um, and my father's house because they lived together. And I would also be at my mother's house where I live with my three siblings. Then we would be able to go to my grandmother and grandfather's house where many of my aunts and uncles live and we would all meet up at. Uh, you know, so Christmas used to be pretty fun as a child. However, it took a turn in 1989. I was seven years old. The person I was closest to in my life, my grandfather passed away on December 19th of that year. And I do remember distinctly uh, his funeral was on December 23rd. It was freezing cold that day. And I remember as a seven year old that I knew that things changed. Uh, I was aware of that at the time. So I did struggle most of my life around Christmas at, after that. And that seems like, wow, that was 29 years ago. Why is it still uh bother you so much well you don't if you lose the person you're closest to in your life um especially if you're someone who kind of um forms strong attachments that is uh that, that that can really really create a lot of problems so you know i struggled with it most of my teenage life most of my adult life but um you know i still i have my own children i have four children of my own the oldest is 17 so you know we would still put up a tree and i wouldn't allow my you know christmas grinch my christmas spirit uh, you know, get my children down. 
But then fast forward to 2010, I was already in the fire department for eight and a half years. I lost my career. December 8th, 2010. I was terminated from the fire department for PTSD. My life was ruined. Uh, I still struggle mightily. Um, you know, it's something you don't recover from. So Christmas has sort of like a double, a double whammy. You know, it hits me hard twice. I've never liked New Year's because I've always been one of those fatalistic people. I always thought, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. So I don't like to be reminded of that. Um, but I will say this, though. Um, I don't really do Christmas. I don't look I don't like Christmas for the way other people like Christmas. Um, just so anyone do who doesn't know me, we've disclosed this on past shows. I'm Catholic. So I enjoy going to Christmas mass at night on December 24th. I enjoy, uh, you know, celebrating Christmas the way it is meant to be celebrated. I'm not saying that anyone's wrong. I'm just stating the original Christmas was celebration is uh, of Jesus Christ's birthday being born. And, you know, I celebrate Advent. I go to mass. Uh, frequently. I go to Mass every Sunday. I I'll go on Christmas. I'll go on every Sunday. So I do enjoy the Advent season, which is what we call the Christmas season from early December all the way through into uh, mid-January, um, up through Epiphany. So uh, I do I do enjoy that. And that's fairly recent, last, you know, five, six years. But other than that, Dan, um, I've had a lot of struggles at Christmas. So uh, you couple my holiday anxiety, my holiday depression with my, with any possible, uh, you know, seasonal affection and it can be kind of tough man yeah man christmas for for me uh same 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 thing i guess you know when you're a kid you look forward to christmas we was dirt poor uh i the most i think i remember getting as a child for christmas as far as gifts are concerned is like a football a basketball or something like that you remember when pizza hut had the street balls <laughs> yeah, man, man, I got one of them joints for Christmas, man. It's like, come on, man. You ordered a pizza and got this shit, man. Come on. But you know what? I was, you pl you played? I bet you played <laughs> with it. Yeah, I took that joint to the playground, man. <laughs> them joints was tight. Them little rubber ass basketballs, man. But yeah, I mean, aside from that, I I've never really been too fond of Christmas. I mean, my Christmases were spent uh, kind of split up. So I'd spend a portion of my day with my mama's family, a portion of my day with my father's family. And it was just like, it was, to use the word energy again, it was just like weird energy, man. I just couldn't wait for the shit to be over. The only thing I think I enjoyed was not going to school for like, what, a week or something like that. But aside from that, I'm, I'm really indifferent to Christmas as an adult. Like the past few years, we haven't really celebrated Christmas as far as the, the gift exchange and whatever. It's like, you know what? If I want something and I know exactly what I want, I'll go buy the shit for myself. And the same goes for Becky. If she wants something, she can go buy the shit herself. So it's not like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm one of those people that hate a bad gift. And I said this shit on uh on our episode of Black Law and Legal Lies where I read one of my journal entries. It's like... I'm not good at social cues and social interactions and things like that. So if I get a gift that I do not like, it's hard for me to to hide that shit. I mean, I can't I rarely smile as it is. So I can't give you a fake smile. You know, I just you will know it's a fake smile if I gave it to you. So anyway, the anxiety of things that are wrapped. I don't do that shit like my mama. She'll come over with a shitload of presents and shit. Becky, she'll still buy presents and, you know, I, I do it more or less because I know they're going to be doing it. But I sit back and I let them open their presents. I don't like to do that shit. I don't like for people to watch me. I don't like to be the center of attention. So if I'm sitting there, 
And people, I hated this shit even as a child. Open your gift. Open your gift. And everyone's standing around watching. It's like, come on, man. This shit's like eating, man. I remember when I was in prison. You don't, you don't fucking stand around people watching them eat. You don't look at people while they eat. Don't look at me while I'm opening a present. Because that shit just makes me unnecessarily hostile. Like, I, And I think that's the same with any type of attention, though. I, I get kind of hostile when a lot of eyes are on me. And... I'm not exactly sure why that is. I'm sure it has something to do with anxiety and whatever, whatever. But yeah, I I get like that when a lot of eyes are on me. So yeah, I don't subscribe to the whole gift exchange. I don't like to do it. I do it out of, uh, let's say, I don't want to say obligation because I don't have to, but I do it because it's kind of polite because I know other people are into that shit. But one thing I do is I don't fucking wrap shit. I throw it in a damn bag. Just open the bag, peek in. If you don't like it, oh, well, the receipt in there, you can take the shit back. <laughs> so Yeah, I don't do that wrapping stuff either. And and that's a, a good thing that my wife likes to do. She likes to wrap stuff. But I do know what you mean. Even as a kid, I didn't like people watching me open gifts. It's a picture of me when, he, when we lived on the south side in Alexandria. Virginia is where I was born and raised. Um, I, I had a picture at Christmas with a Voltron. And I was pissed for some reason because I guess I was getting a picture taken. Uh, I don't know. I don't like it. I didn't like it as a child. I don't like it now. So even now, um, when the family buys gifts for Christmas, the kids and all, they send, they'll buy stuff for me. I always open my gifts way late in the day, sometimes at, at night, you know, and I typically do that to avoid opening it when everyone's around. Yeah. Because I just don't, I know exactly what you mean. I don't like, you know, I, I just don't like feeling like I'm the center of attention and, oh, let's see his reaction. You know, I don't show reaction positively or negatively for very much anyway right you know so people may get the wrong idea so i definitely know what you mean dan yeah man and that that's funny you say that because i do the same thing it'll be like 3 p.m and my mom would be like you, you're gonna open your presents eh, maybe after dinner like uh, i don't know <laughs> so nah. anyway enough about us uh let's take a a deeper look at uh i like to call it sad seasonal affective disorder and I'm going to refer to it as sad for the rest of the show because it's just easier. But what are what are some signs and symptoms of sad uh, peak? Well, it's different seasons. Um, it's not just limited to winter. It's also, um, you know, a thing in the summer, in the summer months, too. So since we're in the winter months, I'm going to go with the symptoms that you typically see amongst uh, people who suffer from sad in the wintertime. Now, I'm getting this information from WebMD. But I've also checked other sites like the CDC for any research, any numbers or anything else like that. So um, these sign, these symptoms are pretty much well received uh, in the medical community. So in the wintertime, the winter symptoms of SAD is pretty much what you would expect of anyone suffering from depression. You have less energy, uh, trouble concentrating, fatigue. You actually may have a greater appetite. Um, you know, you have an increased desire to be alone. You want to sleep more and you'll also have weight gain especially with that increased um that increased appetite so those are signs for the winter months which is uh funny because in the summer months you may have less appetite and weight loss but um so those are pretty much the signs for the winter sad and if anyone has ever suffered from depression knows much about it those signs and symptoms pretty much can be almost unrecognizable as being different from typical depression as it is because let's face it it's a form of depression um, so if you have any of those issues, man, um, you know, especially if you notice an uptick in the winter months, you may want to investigate uh, uh, SAD and, and see what's going on and, and, and try to kind of 
keep notes of your patterns and all, because if you can identify it, you may be able to combat it somewhat effectively. Now have uh shit. Now prior prior to I guess you getting PTSD, um, did you were you even aware that sad was a thing? No, I just thought that uh, sad and and uh, you know holiday depression were the same. Now, I, of course, I didn't know anything about sad by the name, but I knew that people typically got down during the winter months. Um, but I thought that that and it was correlated with the holiday season, which I've now learned is not actually the case, uh, judging by suicide rates and all uh, per season. Um, but I did notice that um, you know I would see a, a, a tick in people having panic attacks or. Or people just kind of generally calling 911 for non-emergencies, but just kind of being down, um, you know, during Christmas time. Uh, people, would, if anyone who is not in the fire department or EMT doesn't know, sometimes you get people who call you up and they don't really have an emergency. They just kind of want somebody to come over the house and talk to. Now, it may sound weird, but there are some really lonely people out there. So I would notice that. Um, I thought that we would run more suicides during winter months. And me and Dan are going to talk about this later. Um, but apparently, according to data, going back at least 100 years, that um, winter suicides actually are less than springtime. But um, but uh, to answer your question the long way, <laughs> no, I did not know it was actual thing before I got in the fire department and before we studied uh, SAD in particular for this show. Man, I never um, I, I heard of it here and there because I've been mentally ill for probably all of my life. But. As far back as I can remember. And I, I've seen it because some of the things I do, and I'm sure a lot of other people out, out here do this, is before you go see a doctor, before you go talk to anyone, first thing you do is go to Dr. Google and be like, shit, let me see if it's some like magic green powder I could buy or something to take. Let me look up these symptoms. And the shit's kind of scary. Then you find, hold on, th then you find out you're dying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm about to say. It's like, <laughs> Man, you know, I feel kind of sad today. Nigga, you got <laughs> nigga, you got AIDS. <laughs> you got a tumor. <laughs> Your tumor got AIDS. <laughs> like, man, but yeah, I, I spent a lot of time researching and um looking different things up and I would come across it every now and then. And one of the places I want to live eventually, hopefully if I ever get enough money, is in Alaska. And there's this town in Alaska where I want to say it stays dark for like damn near 30 days or something like that in a row. No sunlight because of the way this town's located and the way the earth rotates. And hold on, hold on. Let me stop you. Let me stop you. Let me uh, stop you. My family's from Norway. OK, and it's the same thing in Norway. But Norway is an actually beautiful, wonderful, amazing place to live. Why in the hell Alaska? Man, I like cold weather. I like Norway is cold. Man, I don't know nothing about them Norwegian, Norwegian motherfuckers. <laughs> I can go over there as soon as I get off the plane. They'd be like, hey, nigger. I'm like, oh, shit. Over here, nah. too. <laughs> They're nice people. Man. But yeah. So it's like then I started reading. Uh, I started watching documentaries about this town because I don't know if you guys remember Paul talking about him when he was going through some of his uh, rough times. He would watch uh, Anthony Bourdain again. That was in uh, on an episode titled Monthly Mental Health Checkup on Black Law and Legal Lies. I would do the same thing. I would I would watch documentaries about places I wanted to be. And there are a lot of uh, instances of mental illness in this town. And it comes from it being dark for I, I don't know how long exactly, but let's just let's just go with 30 days and not getting sunlight. 
and not seeing any light. And I'm like, bullshit. I would love that because I'm a night owl. I stay up late at night. I don't go outside during the day. I hate the sunlight. My favorite, my favorite days are stormy, dark, like torrential downpours, tornado warnings, uh, things of that nature. I, I like things dark and gloomy. That's what makes me happy. So I'm like, shit, these motherfuckers crazy for being crazy up there in Alaska. So anyway, uh, again, I, I guess that's the long answer is I was aware of it, but not to what extent. I figured it only affected, uh, you know, a minority of people. I didn't realize three million people out here in just the U.S. alone suffer from it. Hey, well, you may not be happy to notice about Alaska, but just just like it stays dark at some periods for thirty days straight, it also has periods when it stays light for thirty days straight. Yeah, so I know. I'd leave. You may wanna you yeah you may wanna have one house in Siberia and one house in Alaska. <laughs> Man, be like, hey, I'm staying with Putin this week. Yeah, damn. <laughs> so, yeah, again, uh, aside from, I guess, the season, the season change, what else would you now? This is, you know, unscientific, but what else would you attribute seasonal affection to? I mean, I can think of a few things just real quick off the top of my head. Like we were talking earlier, being in the wintertime, you stay inside because it's fucking cold. It gets dark early. You stay inside. You're secluded. So we did kind of discuss that as being one of the one of the things that could attribute to it. Personally, I enjoy that time. But um, what are, what are some other things do you think? Yeah, well, I do. Speaking back on what you just said a minute ago about weather, I do enjoy cold. I I'm from the D.C. area. We everybody who listens knows that. Um, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now. It doesn't get very cold. I always thought I hated the cold and I always thought I loved the oppressive heat. I love going to New Orleans. I love humidity. D.C. gets pretty much almost as humid as New Orleans. Uh, but now being down here, I really, really find myself angry a lot. It's always 70 degrees. It's supposed to be 70 degrees on Thanksgiving. Um, so, you know, the thing is, though, that cold can also have an effect on you where even though you're more depressed, it can save your life. And we'll get into that in a little bit um, when we speak about suicide rates and and sad. But there are, uh, you know, uh, many beliefs amongst the medical community, experts as to why um, sad occurs uh, more so in the wintertime. Uh, you know, some things are they think that maybe the uh, less sunlight during the fall and winter will lead to the brain making less serotonin. That's not really backed up by science, but it's in a it's a it's a hypothesis. Uh, you know, there are others speaking that maybe it goes back to our inst our, our, our primal days uh, when, you know, hibernation was a thing because they also say that, uh, you know, people that have symptoms of sad also have similar brain functions as animals that may hibernate. So they kind of go hand in hand. So that's that's a possibility. Yeah, damn. Um, so we like you know, I know, bears and shit. Yeah. I mean, apparently at, at some point in our history, we would spend longer periods of time asleep in the colder months, maybe to stay more warm, uh, you know, less food or something out there. I don't know. But it's one of those things where they think that may have a correlation. Yeah, actually. But ultimately, they don't. Ultimately, though, there's no really big, real consensus on it. Man, I can see it, though, now that you say it as far as the food, because imagine... Well, one, you know, the whole hunter gatherer type of situation that we used to have to do thousands of years ago. But imagine one day, even in 2018, right? You wake up in the morning, you walk outside and you realize, shit, all the food is dead. 
What you gonna do? You gonna stay your ass in the house <laughs> and hope that you can and hope that you can go into your food stores that you should have been saving shit. all season. In the motherfucking hood, we be like, shit, nigga, you food. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I'm I'm gonna make get take a morbid turn. They did say humans used to eat each other back in the day too. So hey, you know we got some weird things in our background, and uh, you know kind of getting more serious now a lot of other issues and, and illnesses and di- diseases have also been shown to come from uh genes from uh, you know prehistory even from you know uh uh, uh oh, what do they call them those cavemen the um, homo sapiens no nah, that's us uh damn why am i drawing a blank here the neanderthal oh yeah so i mean we have a lot of weird factors that contribute to uh issues that we have today all in our prehistory so i mean that is kind of a plausible uh, possibility Man. that may cause win- winter time sad let me let me throw this in here real quick too um i've been telling people I, and and you too if you haven't seen it p um john leguizamo has a special on netflix it's called latino history for morons right and it's directed by Spike Lee. I thought it was going to be stupid, but it was actually really good. And there's a lot of things that happen, much like black history. A lot of things that happen in as far as Latino history that gets erased from the erased from the books. I mean, they fought in every major war we've been in. Thousands of Latinos have fought for us. But I want to go back to your point when you said uh, the diseases and things like that. Did you know that? Thanks to the Europeans and Christopher Columbus in particular, we have syphilis and gonorrhea. Now, I was shocked to learn and I had to Google it a couple of times. Do you know where syphilis came from, Pete? Uh, it came from some dude not using a rubber doing it to some berry in the back alley of L.A. <laughs> Close. <laughs> it, it actually came from the Europeans having sex with sheep. That that's where syphilis huh. comes from, <laughs> and I was like, nah, that, that, that's bullshit. But nah, it's real. And gonorrhea came from having sex with cattle. So that that again, as P was just saying, how weird fucking humans were, man. This wasn't that long ago. This was like there was a whole island off of the coast of Florida, down there by the Dominican Republic, where Christopher Columbus went and he uh, posted up there enslaved the people i think they were called the Ty- tayanos tatianos or something taino. tainos yeah taino people yeah man he eradicated them from the face of the earth three-fourths of them died from fucking syphilis like yo you come over here and these motherfuckers had wooden swords they fought their battles with wooden swords because they didn't want to kill their enemies so i guess it's like eh, well kind of kind of had that one come in but it's like, yo, these motherfuckers come over here and he wiped an entire entire population of people out with a dirty dick from fucking yeah, shit. I mean, when I mean, it happened all over, you know, when when we when you don't have immunity to these certain illnesses, that's kind of what happens. It's, you know, pretty much every major civilization has had plagues from somewhere else where they had people with immunity. I mean, if you look at the Native Americans here, you know, with, with smallpox, uh, you know, even if I, influenza, I looked at, I found out something too. You know, um, you have a house, you know what it's like to try to kill weeds in your yard. I learned that before the Europeans started coming to America, we didn't have any of those weeds over here that we have now. They all came and got brought over here from Europe. Yeah. So that was also something interesting. I, I believe that. Rats, too. Because them motherfuckers came over on their damn boats, man. All they bought was rodents and illness. <laughs> That's fucked up, man. Hey, they won. 
Oh, wait, <laughs> did they though? The battle's still hey, going on. Speaking of that, well, have you ever seen the documentary and also book called Guns, Germs, and Steel? They talk about that a lot. It's a real good documentary. It used to be on Netflix. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube now. Damn, now I'm gonna have to look that one up, man. Yeah, it's pretty good. It, it talks about that that sort of thing that we uh, kind of, you know, we always go off subject on certain uh, <laughs> on every show about something. But if you, I'm gonna say it again, Guns, Germs, and Steel is very interesting. It's a book series and also. Uh, it's on YouTube, and I think it used to be on Netflix. Yeah. Check it out. We went, we went from uh, being sad to fucking sheep and, and genocide. <laughs> God damn. You know what, though? Hey, Europe is cold. So maybe they had sad, and they got lonely, and they <laughs> decided sheep. to have some relations with sheep and fuck some cattle. <laughs> Man, that yeah, that, that sounds, sounds about right. That'll do it. Yo, this your boy Floor 700. What's good, everybody? It's your guy Fresco. And we are the, the Podcast, Podcast Brothers. Brothers. Dig? Yeah. Hey, what is our show about, actually? Our show is about a little bit of everything, man. It's not just one thing, but it's a little bit of this. Right. It's a like a little oh. bit of that. Oh, my goodness. No. You like that song? No. Not from you. What song is that? I don't know. It don't matter. It. it doesn't matter what song that is. Well, that's what our show is about. It's about two brothers kicking the shit. Real life real, brothers. Real life brothers. Obviously not by choice. And if you know how brothers get down, you know how we give it up. We don't agree on nothing. And that's what it's like on a podcast show. It makes for healthy debate, makes for good dialogue, and it keeps the the listener interested as well because it's real brotherly shit. Episodes drop every Sunday. Every Sunday, every platform, you can get a podcast that the Podcast Brothers is there. You dig? Chill. What are some uh, treatment options? The one that I kept coming across was was light therapy. And I tried that, actually, because my circadian rhythm, like I said a minute ago, I'm up all night. Like, I don't fall asleep until about 3, 4 in the morning. But then I want to sleep through majority of the day, wake up and do it all over. But I tried that whole light light therapy to change my circadian rhythm and it was just bullshit. It didn't work for me. But I saw that was one of the treatments for SAD. Uh, are you aware of any other treatments or do you know of anything, maybe any anecdotes that stuff that work for you or don't work? Well, I don't sleep either. And I hate light. I try to keep the house dark all the time. I keep the lights off in the day. I keep the lights off at night except for the TV. I hate light. My least favorite time of the day is morning. I hate to see the night turn today. I hate it. It just really pisses me off. Um, but I did see that light therapy is an option. They also call it phototherapy. You know, they uh they said something about uh it's a special type of light that you're supposed to use in this therapy. Um, I'm not sure what it is. I don't I don't really understand much about that. But I did see light therapy. I think they said full spectrum light or something like that. But the other thing is pretty much what I'm sure anyone who has ever been to the doctor has ever researched anything about mental illness before. They recommend antidepressants, um, in particular, Wellbutrin, which is also called Bupropion. And I'm going to tell you my experiences with Bupropion, also called Wellbutrin, were horrible. I hate it. It made me feel like I had electricity running through my body. Um, And, you know, if you're a person like us who don't like to sleep but wish you could sleep, Wellbutrin probably is not going to benefit you very much. But that is one of the treatments amongst other antidepressants that you may get recommended by a doctor. Man, fuck Wellbutrin. I know exactly what you mean. I took this shit called Buspar, and I think the name, the generic is Busaprone or something like that. And it's supposed to be an anti-anxiety medicine, kind of an alternative to benzos. But every time I move my head, like if I look from left to right, 
the only way you could describe it is electricity running through your brain and your, the back of your eyes and shit, man. That shit was maddening, yo. It's a really unpleasant feeling. And um, even though there are antidepressants that you may get prescribed uh, uh, right now, I think um, Wellbutrin is the only prescription, um, is the only antidepressant that's that's cleared by the FDA to treat uh, instances of SAD. So, um, you know, so you may not actually... Uh, like the options your doctor gives so uh that's maybe uh maybe that means you should investigate that light therapy that dan was just talking about and um i kind of went into briefly for a second um i can give you an example it's uh you know they say that light can have a antidepressant effect so i guess they say maybe you should just spend 10 to 15 minutes per day in front of a full spectrum light increase it to 30 or 45 minutes per day depending on your response and see how it goes frankly i'm not doing that so if you want to do it and it works for you good you know keep it up but man uh i can't see myself doing that nah it, that shit make you look fucking weird and for <laughs> real man i had this damn light i ordered from amazon the shit looked like a damn black light or something right and you got to turn it on and then you got to put your face in this little box right <laughs> <laughs> that shit did you have an amazon gift certificate or something you bought nah, it? i just bought it because i was like man this shit got good reviews <laughs> and i'll be doing that shit man i'll buy shit just because it got good reviews man but um yeah it's like it, it makes you feel like you're doing something bad like you're doing something wrong like nigga watch your head in a box man <laughs> that shit can't be helping you so uh like what you looking at in that goddamn box like like that's a strange thing man man i'd like to see that you should you should share a picture of what that device looks like i'll post it we could post it on instagram Hell yeah i'll post that joint man because if i still had it i'd try it on too but yeah it's some <laughs> bullshit man I'm, it shines I'm looking like, like mega waves man. of light into your face and then it starts pulsing and shit man if the only way I can describe it is what I would imagine uh acid trip will be because it's early in the morning. You already did dis, uh what's the word I'm looking for? Disoriented. Discombobulated. Disoriented. Yeah. So it's like, you know, let me put this box on. And then I had another box that <laughs> I had this other box that helped me go to sleep, right? <laughs> You got a box to wake up and a box to go to sleep? <laughs> like, you mean Dracula? Yeah. That's <laughs> real, man. This shit called uh, Blue Wave or something, I think. Like, the blue light's supposed to make you go to sleep, and it's a little box. <laughs> man, you keep fucking with that light, you're going to turn into Incredible Hulk. <laughs> man, I'm turning into something, but I know that pissed me off, man. The damn blue light, they're talking about that's supposed to make you go to sleep. Man, I used to get mad at that shit. Like, man. Fuck this! Fuck you, blue light. Fuck you. This Bama went to sleep and had dreams about Blue Man Group. <laughs> man, that that shit was annoying, <laughs> young. And then I got one of them domes, the D O H M. I've never heard of that. It sounds German. <laughs> I got that joint from Amazon too. <laughs> <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm so you. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you got a wake up box, a sleep box, and a dome. What is that? What's that for? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I was, I was trying to kill. <laughs> what you was trying to kill? <laughs> Man, I was trying to. <laughs> oh. 
forgot all about them joints. All right. Which was, well, hold on. Which was trying to kill you? Nah, I was trying to cure. I was trying to cure the shit out of myself. <laughs> How many, let me ask you this. How many times did you use all three? Man, I probably used them joints for like, I want to say probably about uh, a week or two. <laughs> and after that, Becky thought it was weird. Like, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then they used to get embarrassing, man, when she'd be like, all right, I'll be like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> she, be, Don't forget your box. <laughs> so, hold on. Does the box fit over your whole head or just your face? Nah, it's like one of them uh, VR joints. It's like it wraps around. <laughs> so you, hold on. So, 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 how do you sleep? Like, what do you lay on? Do you got to get one of those like pillows that's shaped like a donut? Nah, you could uh, lay on. You could lay on your back or on the side of your head because the joint was just over your face, like over your eyes and your. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that joint was fucked up. When she started saying, hey, don't forget your box. <laughs> I used to be like, man, never mind. Man. <laughs> then I had this, uh, man, what else I had? I'm, try- I'm trying to tell y'all, man. Oh, my stomach hurt. I was, <laughs> my stomach hurt, young. <laughs> I was trying to cure this shit out myself, young. I was like, man, fuck these doctors, Joe. Amazon got the answers. <laughs> I had this, uh, damn, what was that joint called? Oh, man. I forgot what that shit was called now. It was like, uh. Oh, shit. It reads your brain activity. Um, shit. A Z-E-O. Z-E-O. It was a headband. Damn. With, um, these <laughs> sensors. <laughs> I just, I just pictured like some fat ass, like, remember them old jokes from the 80s, them jokes called Ruse, that brand that Walter Payton used to wear, like a yeah. fat ass white sweatband, like. It, it like looked, you about to do some aerobics. It looked like that, but it was black. And it had all these little pads in it that measured um, brain activity. Like, um, I forget what frequency or whatever it was, but that joint was actually slick because it had an app. This was like when the iPhone 3 was out. Man, it had an app that would transfer the data from the headset that's reading your brain waves to this app and you can view it. Man, I realized then I didn't go into REM sleep. Uh, what's that? Rapid eye movement. So that joint actually came in handy. But the other shits, man, those were just like gimmicks, man. But yeah. You know, so. What happened to the uh, brainwave thing? That actually would come in handy now. I was just laughing at the appearance. But yeah, that, that REM sleep is, is the most important sleep. You know, that's like when you, if people like us who suffer from insomnia, you know, we struggle with that. Hell you know, yeah. I mean, that's why we wake up fatigued or you toss and turn a lot because you're not getting good REM sleep. So yeah. I'd actually be in, you know, I'd actually, uh, you know, pretty much that's what they use in sleep studies, right? Yeah, I had a sleep study done and it was the same type of device. It was slightly bigger, but it was the same type of device. And what's crazy is this is why that that product doesn't exist anymore. That shit was a huge hit. Y'all can look it up on Amazon or just Google uh, ZEO, ZEO Sleep Monitor, a pharmaceutical company bought the company out, paid them like millions and millions of dollars for their company and technology, and then cut support to it, stopped uh, making making new devices. And once the next iOS uh, rolled out or the next uh, Android rolled out, the 
software, the app couldn't run on that anymore. So they basically bought it and killed the shit. So I was like, damn, that's fucked up, man. So I still got the hardware, but the, the you can't really use it anymore unless you have an old iPhone 3 or an iPhone running on iOS 5 or 6 or whatever that shit was. It's fucked up. Sadly, you see a lot of that and. In- Especially in the the, the uh, pharmaceutical medical field, where breakthroughs would come and a company would swoop in, buy it, and just kill it. Yeah, you know I mean, another example too is the electric car. They had electric cars back in 1900. You know, they had those just you know around the same time as as the you know typical oil gas cars. You know, Tesla was the one that made all that electric stuff back in the day, and now and that's why the the automaker now is called Tesla to kind of pay homage to them. But yeah, they you know they get bought out and get buried is pretty much competition does not like to have uh nah. other people with a product that may hurt their product not at all man the saturn sv1 was one of the first commercially available um and i know this again from not sleeping and watching all these documentaries and i grew up in a garage basically so i know a lot about cars but the saturn sv1 was one of the first commercially available electric cars and you couldn't buy them there was no amount of money you had to lease them. So I, I, the government made that made that so they want they told Saturn that in order to make these vehicles and have them out on the roads, people cannot buy them. So Saturn obliged and said, OK, well, they're for lease only. So the reason they did that was so they can make a shit ton of money and then bury the cars. The gov- the oil companies and the government pretty much buried those cars. So there came a point when people wanted to renew their lease and they weren't allowed to. They legally weren't allowed to. So there are thousands of these Saturn SV1s sitting in a junkyard somewhere. That shit's it's, it's fucked up. Was, well, they mentioned it in that documentary, Um, I think it was called What Killed the Electric Car. I never yeah. watched it, but I, I remember it. Was that, was that about that car? Yeah, that was exactly about that car and, and Saturn and all that shit. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> that joint that joint is tight, man. So but back back to the topic at hand here. Um suicide around the holidays. Now now that we do know a little bit about sad, um so Paul may mention that suicides were actually higher in the spring and you know there there's a few correlations as far as the weather changing, more light, people being uh more social as Paul had said. Um you know what if let me let me say this. I, I want to say I always thought, too, that there was a spike in the wintertime because of people. I'm not sure how many people are familiar with the show. Everyone hates Chris. And I'm going somewhere with this. So the um the father, Julius, uh, he was was Terry Crews. He played this father named Julius, who was a hardworking dude. Everything was dollars and cents to him. You know, you spill some chips on the floor. You'd be like, hey, man, that's 32 cent worth of chips. But you see that a lot in our communities, too, especially with the the fathers that are present and hardworking like that is Julius didn't really have a lot of money. They couldn't afford a lot of things. Come Christmas, he got four, what, three kids and he's trying to provide, you know what I'm saying? So I can see working yourself to death and getting, you know, the whole sleep thing we talked about, not getting enough sleep or not sleeping well. And then on top of that, you work in two, three jobs. Trying, trying to be able to either provide shit for your family, buy your kids shit, or like one of the things we say in our community is, I don't want my kids to grow up like I did. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that saying. I would want my kids to grow up exactly like I did because I've seen both sides of damn near every aspect of life. But I'm going to just say I can see the holiday spending 
the bills and embarrassment, not being able to provide um, anything for your family or for your children. And same with kids, kids not getting anything for Christmas. You used to go to school. Nigga, I used to lie about shit that I got for Christmas. I would go to school after the school break. And like I told y'all earlier, I would get basketballs and footballs. You go to school, people like, hey, what you get for Christmas? Man, I got the Nintendo. I got Mario. I got Excite Bike. I got Paperboy. I got the little Nintendo mat. I got the Ghostbusters joints. I would just, you, everyone would try to one up each other. And we would spend a whole week doing that, knowing ain't none of us get shit. Some of them, some of them did. Some of them with the rich welfare mothers got shit. But anyway, I, I equate that time, that type of stuff to why people would want to commit suicide in the wintertime. My personal thing would be, I, I hate, much like Paul dislikes Christmas time and Christmas, um, I hate the new year. I hate January through March. Uh, I lost both, both of my grandfathers back to back, February 13th and then March 22nd. Lost both my grandfathers. Um, and the other thing I hate is my birthdays in March. So it's like in, in between my birthdays in between losing two of the pretty much only men that I had in my life as far as, uh, role models, providers, people you could look up to. Um, that, that was it. My father, he was MIA. So the bond that I had, much like Paul said, uh, with his grandparents, it was same, same with my grandparents. It's like, you know, those, those are the closest people. And even if it is five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, that's still the closest person to you ever, period. And people like us, people that do have problems with anxiety, we don't make new friends. And in saying that, we don't make new people that we get extremely close to either. So it's, well, I'm, let me speak for myself by saying that. Uh, I'm not sure if you're the same, Paul. No, that's true. Um, I mean, you, I, I've met a couple good friends in my adulthood, uh, mainly one in Charlotte, especially I'm actually really close to, but that's not the norm. I typically don't form newer relationships with people very easily. And that's even going back in the day. I mean, for me and Dan, for example, we've known each other since what, 1994, like 93. And we yeah. weren't even, we weren't even friends immediately. We didn't become actual close friends until maybe 96. Yeah. You it know, was 95. It was the day that I handed you that lock, that combination lock, so you could uh, hit uh, dude Tiger Set in the head <laughs> with it. And he was probably like, hey, man, I like this dude, man. This dude cool. He gave me a lock to kill somebody. <laughs> uh, I saw you in a new light because I was always joining on people. Anyone not from the D.C. area, we call, you know, joining. We call people, uh, you know, if you join on somebody, that's the same as cracking or making fun of or like they say roasting nowadays um i used to always join on people in class and my teacher moved me to the front of the class and i had to sit next to dan and i remember i said oh man i gotta sit next to dan he don't he, he ain't no fun he don't talk man i was good in so, math <laughs> he was good in math i hated math i really hated it and i hated school and i was one of the contributors to dan's uh later struggles with school i apologize for that but i think he's turned out quite well but um, going yeah. back to the issue, <laughs> going back to the issue about the uh, the the suicide rates, um, I was a former firefighter, and I always just maybe it stood out more, but I always assumed that we ran more suicides in the winter months. I all, I mean, I distinctly remember multiple suicides, whether it be teenagers or especially older people during the holiday season. But then I thought that we also ran a lot of suicides around Memorial Day. So yeah. 
I did some research into the show, and Dan, I was surprised to find out that spring is actually the time where suicides are the most common. And when you, you know, first hear that, you think it's ridiculous until you actually read about the the potential factors that cause it, and it actually makes a lot of sense. I don't know if you got a chance to look at the article, Dan. Um, yeah, but, uh, that kind of glanced you know, over. Yeah, did you, did you did you see the potential causes, and what do you think about those in in contrast to uh, what causes sad in the winter months? Man, uh. Well, I, I'll say, let me kind of jump back to December real quick and say, like like I was uh, getting into as far as me disliking January through March, right? Every December, I I think about it, not not saying I entertain the idea like, you know, hey, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But I think uh, P said it best in one of the other episodes, it's more or less, if it happens, it happens, right? I don't like seeing New Year's. So... That that's another reason too. I, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there as far as suicide rates in the winter months in December specifically. Like this year has been shit. I don't want to see another year. And then each year we all have markers that remind us of something that happened the year before, year before, five years before. Like Paul said, December, what was it? December eleventh, when you got um terminated for PTSD? December eighth. I can recite that date without much as a thought. December 8th. Yeah, see? So certain dates and certain things stick with people. So that that's that's part of my thinking. Now, going to the spring, I can see the whole being more social, being around people, being out and about. More people do things. Um, family events, even. Like, you look at sports. What, what sports start up in spring? I want to say baseball. Baseball. Uh, uh, little, a bunch of little shit. league shit. Soccer. Like. Anything you can do outside imaginable, like that's what that's when you're starting spring. Oh, golf, golf. The, the major season starts in uh, April. Yeah. Pools open in Memorial on Memorial Day. Uh, so people are out. People are doing things. And if you can't adjust, if if you can't, um, uh, the I, I'm a, you're not flexible or as flexible. I, personally, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not very flexible from going from one extreme to another. Or even going from one one side of something to another. I have to ease my way in. So I can't go from sitting in a house all day, all night. Man, it's cold out. It's dark out. Let me just sit up in here and do shit. To all of a sudden, okay, time to go out here, have fun, run around, all this traffic and shit. People with kids all over the place. I can't do that shit, man. That, that shit stresses me the fuck out. So, yeah, I can see that as far as the human interaction and socializing being a huge part of it. You go from being alone, being by yourself or being with, you know, a few a, a small, small knit group to being out in the world with everyone. And then you do have Memorial Day where a lot of older people, they tend to think about the ones that they've lost along the way, like especially especially uh, World War One, two, Vietnam vets, even um even more recently, the um, the Afghanistan and uh, shit, Iraq wars, you know, it's like you think of a lot of people you lost. You think of we know a guy um, that we went to school with who passed away over in Iraq. I think it was roadside bomb. I'm pretty sure his his company every 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 year around Memorial Day, every year around when when it actually happened, there's one of them. There's probably a few of them, but one of them saying either that could have been me or damn, I wish that was me. I feel bad for what happened to my brother out there. So, yeah, I, Memorial Day, man. Yeah, that's that's rough. I, we would run a lot of older people commit suicide around Memorial Day. 
Um, you know, I was finished in the fire department around 2010. So the wars were still kind of going on. Um, but a lot of older people, especially in the wars that when we actually did lose a lot of people, you know, Vietnam, World War Two, um, you know, I can see that. And also, too, um, there are other factors about the springtime that can cause an increase. And it's actually a lot of different possibilities. And they all they all make sense. You know, Dan was speaking about being more social. Um, one reason why they feel the suicide rate in the winter, even though the sad is more prevalent in the winter. Um, is, you know, while the suicide rate is lower during the winter versus the spring is you're kind of, you know, in your own place. You don't go out much. It's always dark. You're inside the house. You, you kind of to yourself, you're alone. You kind of just pretty much lay around, sleep or eat. And it's a lot of food around in the wintertime. You know, we all know that. So that's also one that may be one factor as to why people in the winter don't kill themselves, even though they're more depressed. But in the spring, um, you know, people are get, getting out, becoming more social um, trying to, you know, sh- live their life and have a great time. And if you're one of those, an- you know, I'm not going to say antisocial because that term is used incorrectly. Um, if you're one of those people who aren't very social, uh, you know, you tend to feel like either you're a drag or people ask you, oh, what's wrong? Come out. And you feel you feel bad. You kind of feel alone. Um, and that may kind of make you feel like it's not worth it. And you got the longer days, you, you know, um, I even read something about, allergies and how increased particles in the air has been shown in studies to increase inflammation in the body, which can affect serotonin levels, especially if you're already depressed. Um, So typically, mainly um, a common factor amongst many of these theories about springtime suicide rates is um, social settings, because um, there was an experiment done and they kept track of prisoners, I think, in an Asian country and people who are stuck in one environment all year round, they don't have any increase at any point of the year in suicide. So seasonal affective disorder does not impact uh, people in, in, you know, in custody or people who don't have things, a social life or a social setting. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was, that was pretty, uh, pretty interesting too. So it makes sense. Yeah, it, it, it does, man. Now let me, <clears throat> now let me jump to this question here. Um, let me, let's, let's start with you. <laughs> like there's anybody else. <laughs> Um, what would you say to someone if, if there is someone out here listening that just happens to find this new random podcast and takes the time to listen this far into it, what would you, um, say to somebody who was feeling suicidal as, as an effect, maybe they, they didn't realize they had sad, but now they, they've kind of figured it out at this point. What what would you say to them if they were thinking about killing themselves? Or even planned on killing them. Well, I'm gonna tell. Well, I'll say what helped me, because um, I've had all those issues too. I still struggle with 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 many issues, you know, um, on a daily basis. And I'm gonna tell you, this is sort of my one size fits all approach. And I think it's it's been very effective for me. I don't know about anyone else, but whether you have increased depression, whether you feel increased sadness or loneliness, or you want to kill yourself, um, one thing that helped me not really allow my you know, uh, negative emotions consume me was don't worry about other people. What I mean by that is if you're depressed, typically people who are depressed and are suicidal feel as though they're a burden on others or they're not as, uh, you know, as on par with other people. And especially in this age of social media, that can really make what you feel 10 times worse. So what I tended to do 
is I embrace it. I embrace my sadness. I embrace my depressive states. I embrace it. I acknowledge it. I own it. I don't say it's anyone else's fault. I don't say that I'm causing problems for anyone else. I own it. I keep it to myself, meaning um, I don't allow it to interfere with other things. Um, Even if that means I have to avoid other things because I may uh, not enjoy myself or I may be a drag, I'll just do that. I'll stay home. And if you can eliminate the external factors, um, you know, that may make you feel a certain way, because let's face it, many things that people are depressed about tend to be external factors. Some people are sad and they don't know why, but very uh, a large portion of these are people who have um, relationship issues or family issues or feel as though they're a burden onto their loved ones. If you can eliminate that and just be sad on your own, you don't really run as great a risk of it consuming you to the point where you feel as though suicide is your only way. Now, I'm not saying this is from something medical or anything. This is my technique and it's worked. I don't allow it to uh, to go anywhere else. And if I'm upset, I own it. I tell myself, hey, I'm manic. Hey, I'm going to hey, I'm depressed this time, this month, this time of year. And if someone else, you know, doesn't like it, I'm like, oh, well, I'm dealing with this. Sorry. And that, that that's worked for me, Dan. I don't know if you've ever tried that approach, but it's it's been pretty good to kind of help me. Cope. Man, I I do something similar. Um, let me say I, I forgot to add or even bring up the whole we, we're going to do a whole a whole episode on social media. Forgot to bring that aspect of it up. Um, what's crazy is from January to April, I'm working 70 plus hours a week. It's the only time I work like nonstop and I don't have time to do social media. I don't have time to log in and talk to anyone, have conversations, see who's doing what. I really don't care because I got work to do and a lot of it. And I, I noticed that when I am busy like that, I don't have time to let my thoughts ruminate. And that's like I have this this habit of playing the same same something might have happened and I'll play it over and over and over and over again in my head. And the the results always the same. It's always the same from beginning to end. Perfect example. I went uh, to vote November 6th. We went to this park. It's called Laughing Park. That's our, our polling station. After coming out to vote, it's also a park where people jog and and walk and, you know, as you can picture, a a city park would be. So as we're going across the street, an unmarked police car pulls up to a stop sign. And this is a jogging path where you're crossing. So there's, there's a white dude out here jogging. So he comes running across the street. And I've been at this park before. I've jogged here before. And you don't pay attention to the cars because the cars know that the jogging path crosses here. Unmarked police car. So the white dude jogs across the street. So Becky and I, we're just walking. Um, came Come from the polling place. But as I get within about a half a foot from this police car, the dude fucking guns it. And to the point where... Like another step, his side mirror would have probably put me on my ass. And I stopped in the middle of the road. And the first thing I could say to myself is motherfucker. So Becky says, huh, he just tried to kill you. And I was angry. I wanted to chase the car down and end up in one of these moments that Paul and I often talk about is I don't care what the consequences are. I know that that's a police officer. I know he has a gun. And you know what? I need to catch him and do something to him. And of course, at my age now, I'm more uh, more in control 
In my 20s, I might have actually chased the car down and kicked the shit out the car. I've, I've been known to kick a moving car or two in my day. So anyway, we get to the car, we drive, and I'm like, we were just all happy and smiling. We voted and whatever. Get to the car. I'm just like silent the rest of the rest of the way home. Didn't say a word. And Becky tries to say, you know, some stuff here and there. I probably didn't even hear what she said or paid attention. Only thing I'm thinking of is me walking out and that cop just stepping on the gas after letting a white man jog across the street. And I keep telling myself, there's no way he could have not seen me. I was in all, well, I had a white baseball cap on, white t-shirt on. The jogger had on dark clothes, but was a white man. So I played that, that particular incident over and over and over and over in my head. And each time I think to myself, I should have chased the car down. I should have threw something at the car. I should have done something. The fact that I did nothing is what makes me ruminate and what makes these thoughts continue to be stuck on replay. So I I do notice when shit like that happens and I'm super busy, I don't have time for the rumination. I don't have time to think about shit that just doesn't matter right now at the moment. So staying busy, that long drawn out story, staying busy keeps me um, keeps me grounded. Um, I've done that multiple times and, you know, I'll share some more, you know, in the future. But that's what works for me. So what I would tell someone who is suicidal is if you can, because I know that suicidal people don't want to hear what the fuck someone who's telling someone that suicidal has to say. They generally don't care. But if by chance they did, I would suggest trying to do something that keeps you busy, keeps your mind busy. That That's always worked for me. So outside of that, I'll be honest, there's nothing. I, I don't have anything I can tell someone who is suicidal and who is dead set on doing it because I know that feeling. I've been there and, and I also I get there often. So there's nothing anyone can tell me. It's just like sometimes you just got to sit back, let it take its course, not suicide, but let the the thoughts run their course and, you know, try to make it out on the other side. That's that's best I got. Yeah, I, I can attest to an idle mind since I've been on, uh, you know, I haven't been working since that uh, 2010. You know, I've been retired from the fire department and, um, you know, it, it sucks, man, uh, being idle so much. The good thing is I have a lot of kids that keep me occupied, but. I will say, Dan, um, being idle, that that is when you start to have potential uh, issues pop up, whether, you know, some people may be substance abuse, other people it may be alcoholism or other uh, unhealthy replacements to fill that idle time. Because face it, you know, if you're a person that struggles with anxiety or you can't settle down and then you have depression as well. And if you have nothing to do, that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, 100%, man. And going back, I want to ask you this too. Um, have you ever been in one of these situations, such as the police car or whatever, where something has happened to you and maybe a younger you would have reacted a certain way and done something, anything? Have you ever done nothing and then sat there and it, you, it just stewing on it, stewing on it like, I, I can't believe I didn't do anything. I, I still need to go do It might be two years ago. Something happened two years ago. And you're like, fuck that. I still need to do something about something that happened two years ago. That happens all the time. I, I, I have an issue where I feel like I lost. Even if I responded in a mature way, I'm like, man, I lost. Um, I had a guy here in this in my neighborhood 
um, who was cutting my grass for me and all. He asked for a couple, uh, I think he asked for, I can't remember. It was a decent sum of money though. He said, I'll be right back, man. I got to do this. I'll be right back. So I'm one of those people where, and I give someone money. I feel as though I don't give away what I can't spare to lose. Um, but the dude said, I'll pay you back. Never pay me back. I kept seeing him. Oh, I got you. I got you. Till one day I pulled up on him and told him to get in the car and then I was going to crush him. (laughs) Then I thought, I don't want to kill this dude because then I'll get arrested over a small amount of money and it's not worth it. So I told him, don't let me see you around here again because I'm not going to be so nice next time. And I and I let him out. Now, I felt bad because I'm like, damn, I lost. This clown stole some money from me. You know, I wouldn't back in the day, I wouldn't have tolerated it. And I'm right. Back in the day, I wouldn't have tolerated it. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have all these children and I didn't have everything I worked hard for back in the day when I would have broken that guy's neck. So, um, yeah, I mean, there are other instances, too, where I'm like, man, I can't believe I just let them say that or do that. I feel like I lost. But ultimately, in the back of my mind, though, I do know that it was the best decision to not have done something because um, you may think that responding violently or in an aggressive manner is a good idea to make you feel good. But you got to think of the consequences and how you're going to be feeling 10 to 15 years from now uh, stuck in jail and wondering, was it really (laughs) worth it? Yeah. Man, that's an old school move, too, man. That's some shit you roll up on a nigga. Get in. If a nigga get in your car after you, he done stole some shit from you and you roll up on him and you say, get in. That motherfucker's crazy. Because I'd be damned if I steal some shit from someone, they roll up on me, get in. Hell nah. Well, this this dude is is some, I don't know. He He's a weirdo. I think he's a crackhead. And when he was in the truck and he realized I wasn't so nice that time, he was kind of halfway hanging out the window a little bit. Like he was like he was right up against the door in case it turned sideways. So uh, I think he realized after he got in, oh, man, this nigga must realize I ain't going to pay him. You know, crackheads, too, man. Them motherfuckers bounce. That motherfucker climb out your window while you driving, bounce, end up on his feet running. Like, God damn, crackhead motherfucker. You look out your mirror and they gone. <laughs> man, so the last thing here, well, last two things. Um. How many people do you personally know that have committed suicide? And I'm I'm just going to assume that you know at least one and hit you with the series of questions, which is, did they show any signs looking back? Did their personality, like how was it before and up until? Yeah, well, I thought there was going to um, be a third question, but that's it. No, I know a few. I know at least four. And I know there's a couple other people in there somewhere that I'm forgetting about. Um, the thing is, though, I don't know anyone that was that I talked to on a daily basis. Um, the first was one of our friends from middle school. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't see him or talk to him outside of school. I just know he killed himself. But he, he was always a happy guy. We thought running around, great, bright, always smiling, playing, you know, good, nice guy. And he killed himself. Um, and another was a, was was a, was a, a good friend of mine. Um, I talked to him quite a few times and, um, you know, he's a veteran, um, knew that there were certain, you know, certain things he was struggling with. But um, I can't speak for those in his personal life that um, may have seen symptoms or signs that that may happen. But I'm going to tell you from my end, I, 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 I thought he was, you know, no different than me in terms of dealing with the struggle. Right. There were others that we went to school with that killed themselves. One was actually right around Christmas time. Um, I hadn't talked to him since school, but according to what his friends who I'm still friends with were saying, they didn't see it coming. So, you know, I I said this a few weeks ago, people always say, oh man, I can't believe it was that person. Like Anthony Bourdain, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. But typically why would it, why would you know? Like if people want to kill themselves, they're not going to tell you. They're not, they typically aren't going to slit their wrists and call a loved one. 
because they, they, there's kind of things where they want to be saved. If they're going to kill themselves, they're not going to tell you and they're going to do it. So, you know, tip always it's sort of like when a crime happens in a neighborhood and people say, I never thought it could happen here. Well, you know, that's typically where it happens. It happens somewhere. <laughs> So, yeah. you, you know, if if you knew it was going to happen, then it probably wouldn't. Right. Happen. Right. Yeah. I, I know a lot of the same people. Um, I can't speak to their personalities either. Um, you know, any personality changes didn't talk to them often enough. Um, there's always signs looking back. I believe that for anything like you look at these school shootings, there's always signs, but it's, you know, hindsight. So I, I think the the same can be said for a suicide. You can always look back and comb over someone's uh, life and say, oh, this was a sign that, you know, they may have wanted to commit suicide. But by the time you see the signs, it's usually after the fact or too late anyway. So I um, want to end on a light note here. I call this segment Irrational Deeds. So I'm going to start with you. Uh, what? <laughs> keep saying start with you like is anybody fucking else man <laughs> like i'm so used to having uh becky and ann and everybody what is one of the most irrational things that you've done that you attribute to mental illness something that really makes other people uncomfortable or really question your mental health well I I'm a cheat and I'm gonna give you two of them. One we talked about on an episode of Black Law and Legalizers when I pulled the gun and told the three guys at the tow truck yard that they better get back behind the fence because I'm not scared to die. <laughs> and it was like a weird standoff for a second. And that was one. They kind of looked at me like I was crazy. But the other I'll, I'll say is goes into me being um, not comfortable in uh, social settings. Um, it's not that I'm not comfortable being around people. It's the fact that my line of work, my disability, and the way I grew up has created a unique personality. <laughs> and if you're not from where we're from, you won't understand that. So I, I'm in another state. I don't know really a lot of people, how they do things. And I'm also not an educated man. I was a firefighter. Um, so I didn't go to college. I'm not an intellectual. And so I would be uncomfortable talking to people who maybe, you know, my wife's friends. I found myself in situations where I didn't rather, I wouldn't rather be talking to people I don't know very well, mm -hmm. trying to sound normal. And I always end up talking about brains and eyeballs. <laughs> it always comes up. I'm not, every single time I find a way to insert how dead people's eyeballs look <laughs> when they're dead and it's gray and they're staring at you. And that time I had, I, I almost stepped on the brains and I always say, you know, brains look really funny on the street and people kind of look at you funny and Okay, and they don't really know what to say. Um, so, you know, they can talk about their fraternity or whatever. Uh, I can talk about brains on the sidewalk. Man, I picture this conversation going like this. Yeah, this is my husband, P. Uh, this is my fraternity or sorority sister, uh, Jada. Jada's a marketing professional. And, you know, yeah, I, I got to run to the bathroom. You guys just hang out. Jadis, uh so Pete, what do you do? Yeah. Um so the thing is with brains on the sidewalk, right? They it, it sounds like like you starting a Richard Pryor joke. You know, the thing with the brains on the sidewalk. The thing. Like, man, what's wrong with this nigga, man? Man. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, I tend to go into gory subjects um without realizing frequently. And I don't really understand how awkward people are until maybe my wife may may say something. 
Um, but it happens a lot. And, you know, I mean, now I don't even care. I just whatever comes out my mouth, I just say it. And people don't really know what, what to do with that information. I Man, guess. I, I do that shit a lot at work. And it's gotten to the point now where like no one even believes shit I say, say anymore. Like a lot of the stuff. I need other people to verify because I'm always saying some weird random shits and most of the time it's true. But the way I say it, it makes it sound untrue. But what what I'll say for mine is uh, since we're doing two, one, I do not under any circumstances shit outside of my home, outside of the bathroom in my home. I don't shit in public restrooms. I think that's gross. That's disgusting. I would rather kill myself. And that's probably not too far of a reach. Or I, you know what? There's been one time, this is a true story. I was driving to a job interview, right? And when I get nervous, when I get anxious, my bowels start, start making noise and moving around and shit, right? So I'm about the job interview. Let's just say it's at 10 a.m., right? I leave the house at 940. Plenty of time to get there. It's like a 10 minute drive. So I pull up in the parking lot and I'm like, man, I got a shit, man. I got a shit. Fuck. I got a shit. A normal person will probably go find the closest bathroom, the quickest bathroom. I'm like, shit, hell no, I'm going home. So I peeled out the parking lot and I'm like, I got about halfway back home and I'm like, I ain't going to make it. So I started looking around and I'm looking at like McDonald's, Burger King, little stores, gas stations. I'm like, man, fuck. The only thing I kept thinking to myself is I wonder if when I stand up, if the shit's going to roll down the back of my pants leg, because I'm not going to any of these places to shit. I, I'd rather shit on myself. <laughs> that's a that's a, a real life conversation I had. And you know what? By the time I made it back home, I didn't even have to use the bathroom no more. But I'm like walking back out the house, calling people. Hey, I'm going to be a few minutes late. Not I didn't tell him the whole story about I, I just had to come to terms that I was going to shit on myself because I refused to go to a public restroom. But, yeah, that, that's weird shit, man. And that's why I don't travel. That's why I don't go very far from home because I, I refuse and I've quit two jobs because I had to take a shit. Papa John's in Arlington. I only worked there for a couple of days. Uh, had to use the bathroom. I told the store manager I was training to be an assistant manager at the time. So the store manager said, hey, man, I got to go run home and use the bathroom right quick. Dude was like, what? We got a bathroom in the back. I'm like, nah, I don't use those kinds of bathrooms. Well, what kind do you use? I use the kinds that's at home. So, uh, look, I got to I got to go use the bathroom. I'll be back. Dude said, uh, look, we really need you here. And I'm sorry, you can't you can't leave right now. Man, I said, fuck you. I threw my apron on the counter. Quit. Just walked out. Say, I got to take a shit. So, yeah, don't shit in public, man. <laughs> that That's like... I don't know if you remember this time, uh, P, when we were driving from New Orleans to D.C. And, man, that's like a 17-hour drive. We get to Bristol, Virginia. It was like either Roy Rogers or Arby's or something. And I'm like, shit, I'm 13 hours from home. Man, I got to take shit. So I said, uh, hey, man, do me a favor. Stand outside the door and don't let no one come in the bathroom. And then I got my book bag and I had like some Lysol in there. All kinds of shit. Everything you would expect someone with OCD to have that's going into a public bathroom. Like, who the fuck comes into an Arby's with a book bag full of cleaning products, right? So, I think you told me, yeah, man, all right, I stand, I stand out here, man, I stand out here. And I'm pretty sure you just didn't stand out there. And because when I got out the bathroom, because I couldn't go, because I'm like, fuck, this is a, this a, a public bathroom. I'm like, man, this nigga out in the parking lot in the car, man. Nigga, you wasn't guarding the door, man. <laughs> 
<laughs> when you walked in, I probably said, man, I ain't about to do that shit. Hey, look, you carry Lysol everywhere. When I was in the fire department, I used to carry olive oil everywhere. Uh, look, all right, I'm Ital- I got Italian in my ancestry. When I used to be in a firehouse, I wouldn't eat with the shift. That was one of my other things. I, could- I don't like eating with other people. So I always had my own lunch. I had a fear of running out of olive oil. I never wanted to be caught without olive oil. So I would have olive oil in my pocket, olive oil in my locker. And, you know, it was just funny. People would think it was weird. But I'm like, fuck you, man. I'm not running out of olive oil for this salad. <laughs> Damn, man. Olive oil, man. See, I'm trying I'm trying to think of the second one. I had it, too. Uh, shit. Something. Because I, I know I do have a lot of weird social interactions. I'm always trying to end social interactions, though. Um, see, what? That's something very irrational that I do, I think. Well, to add to the taking the shit, I always have to take a shower afterwards. No exceptions. Uh, yeah, I don't blame you on that. Uh, shit. Let me, you know what I'm going to do? Let me grab my fro Becky. Hey, Becky. Step step into here real quick. So, um, we're, we're closing the show. And we just got done asking and talking about... Some irrational things that we do that we attribute to our mental illness and um, other people think it's odd or they question our mental health after it. I need a second one. What's something else that I do that might be a cause for concern if you didn't know me? It's kind of hard to think of just one off the top of my head. I've lived with you for so long, things have become normalized. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of hard for me to know what's abnormal <laughs> for you. Just pick something. What's something I do? There, there has to be something that you deal with that if you say it out loud to somebody else, they're like, huh? I can see why that might be difficult for for Becky, though. When, you be, when you're with somebody for so long, it's kind of hard to separate what's normal and what's kind of not common anymore. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, I don't know. You can't think of anything? Um, oh, here we go. We got one. <laughs> I don't know if this can be uh, considered abnormal, but... Um, you 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 don't like to to let certain things go. Like you have this sweatshirt that has a, a hole in it, like not not just a small hole, like a big hole in both uh, sleeves um, that you've worn for like years and years, and I don't understand why you've held on to that. Also, there was um, a blanket that you sleep, you know, that you you know sleep with. Or, you know, use the cover up that had multiple rips and tears in it, but you still use that. And I'm like, we have more than just one blanket in the entire house. So I'm not sure why that, you know. <laughs> and I'll tell you why that sweatshirt was so important. Paul will understand this. It was from 2XS. <laughs> <laughs> was it a Von Teff sweatshirt? So. I, I, the damn shit done wore off on it, man. I love that damn sweatshirt. That's my depression hoodie. So that wraps up this episode. This episode, we kind of covered uh, what we do for the holidays, seasonal, most importantly, seasonal affective disorder. You know, some weird things, some of the devices I've purchased to try to cure myself. I was telling telling you guys about the boxes, the lights and all the the Zio brain reader. Um, And Paul got into some of the science behind uh, seasonal affective disorder. And I think a lot of you. 
I, I would assume, just learned today that most of the suicides do take place in the spring. Uh, anything else you want to add, P? Um, all I can say is pretty much be aware. I think I said this last episode. Um, you got to be honest with yourself. If you're not honest with yourself or you let other people dictate to you what you should be thinking or feeling, then you may miss signs. And if you miss signs, you won't adequately be able to treat yourself um, or maybe correct things before they become major, major problems. So always be honest with yourself. Spend time by yourself every day. Just kind of reflect. And I know that sounds corny, but it's true. You know, everybody has their own way, but you got to look inside all the time and identify any shortcomings you may have. The truth hurts, but only if you allow it to hurt. Welcome it. And that's always a good starting point before problems can, uh, you know, balloon, uh, balloon and get worse. You may can correct them and fix them before they become major. There you have it. So I am one of your hosts. Today, Dan, a.k.a. Dan on Drugs, and you can find me on Twitter and IG at I am Dan on Drugs. You can also find me over at the Black Law and Legalize podcast weekly every Tuesday. And I'm P from Charlotte. You can find me at Screws Loose Pod on Instagram and on Twitter. And we are a few screws loose. Catch you next time, people.